Good afternoon, how are you? Good afternoon, I'm good, I'm good, how are you? Oh yeah, boy, up since five o'clock. <laughs> I thought you were up my boat earlier today. I'm on a mission, jeez, I tell you what, country <laughs> numbers, um, well, I, I tell you what, um, uh, for anybody watching, this is the reason I'm, uh, I do this, I get up at five o'clock, because it gives you a huge amount of time without any interruption with anybody disturbing you, because mm -hmm. everybody else is basically sleeping or getting ready for their work. So, you know, kind of when you wake up at that sort of time, it's a golden opportunity to be uninterrupted and just batter on with what you're doing. So this morning, I've been getting a lot of stuff out of the way, but I've also been working on um, forecasting uh, to make sure yeah. um, if anything happens. So, um, you know, you know, I've done it in the past, Richard. I've, I've, I've put in my numbers and I've changed it. If interest rates go up, if occupancy rates drops, if anything like that changes, then, you know, we'll, we'll work out for there exactly yeah. where we are and what we're doing. Um, so that's that's what I'm working on right now. Basically got sheets and sheets of information. Uh, and, and, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, I'm trying to work out if I should if I should pay off some of the mortgages I have um, because they're getting higher interest rates and they're in our name. Um, and this is to do with the the interest rate, low, you know, interest rate deduction, that lower rate mm -hmm. only. Um, and, and it's not deductible against you as an, an individual now, but it is as a limited company um, against right. your uh, income. But it's not as an individual. It's only against your tax bill at the end. So it's a completely different uh, proposition in terms of how the tax works between a limited company and also an individual so this is what i'm trying to work out so is that something that just applies to your individual circumstances or is that something you would advise other people to look at oh, that's everybody. That everybody has got everybody's got a, a property renting in their name or their partner's name and not a limited company who has a mortgage on it and um, needs to review that situation to make sure uh, the possibly the implications of it pushes them into a higher rate band and therefore they could end up paying more tax um, than they expect because the interest is only deductible at the lower rate allowance. Right. A classic example of that is um, say you're borderline tax, so you're, you're just under the higher rate threshold, okay? So you're just oh. under the higher rate threshold um, and what happens is interest rates go up uh, just a slight amount so the interest amount goes up as well, but then you have to earn more money to actually cover that interest cost potentially. So if you earn more money before the interest is taking off, that means you're pushing a high rate band. Right. And then you'll get taxed on that money. You earn more because your interest rate's gone up. Remember, you get taxed mm -hmm. on that money more, and therefore you'll only get twenty percent taking off. So the marginal difference will be the difference between the higher rate and the lower rate. You'll be paying extra on that that amount of money that you're you're earning over and above. Right, okay. It's, it's a marginal rate, and um, you'll pay because of that. Um, a limited company and mortgage interest it has no effect at all. It's allowed you're allowed to deduct it um, completely against your income and uh, off your income and expenditure um, as well, um, your profit and loss. So it, yeah. it doesn't affect things at all. It's just it's an individual. So it's it's something you should always if you're uh, if, if you're on that borderline higher rate, or even if you're a high rate payer, um, and you have got vitalets in your name with an interest, with a mortgage, then you should check that how it's going to affect you, um, because it, because you will pay more money as the interest rate goes up. Um, so it's, it's all these things. But then if I pay the if I pay the interest off, um, then I'm actually earning more money. Therefore, that'll push us into a higher rate again, 
therefore the smaller amount of interest that I'm taking off will actually mean that I could end up paying more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure. That's what I'm trying to work out. That's why I'm yeah, trying well, to work out right now and, and see where I, where, I, where I stand with that. Like my, like my grand piano. I do, I do. <laughs> um, but like <laughs> you say, it's good to... It's good to get that extra time and use it and utilize it to kind of work those things out. You mentioned about uh, limited companies there and, and obviously the difference uh, if your property is in a limited company. This Thursday, our private Zoom is about a limited companies and all the way the whole process through that and accounts and things. So if you're one of our landlords and investors, you should have got my invite last week. I'll be resending that this week prior to Thursday. Please join if um, you want some tips on, on limited companies and, and how that all works in the the whole process right through to the um submitting accounts and things okay i know i know, you, I know you say usually please join and it's like i'm not really join I'm not, I'm not really pleading anybody you join and you get all the information from somebody that's done this already and understand yeah. it completely as an accountant or you don't join at all and you go pay somebody else to actually give you that information as well yeah uh, same information if not they're probably not a property investor so they won't understand it from a property investor's point of view. So therefore, you're getting access to somebody that's got a complete track record in this and also has an experience of being an accountant and understanding the numbers and the dynamics and that. So what we're going to be talking about on Thursday in the private Zoom session, um, and again, all the details are in there, contact Richard if you've not been invited to that private Zoom session. Uh, we're going to be talking about, I've been asked there already, um, how, how, I mean, I, I think it's really easy to set up a limited company and I'm saying, saying, well, you just go on the internet and you just buy a company off it. And and I now understand, I remember what it was like for me in the beginning. It was quite difficult for me in the beginning to understand. It's like, what if I do something wrong and I set the wrong things up and 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 I can't change it? And it, it, and it ties me into something. And yeah. it was it was more fear than anything. Because it's going to say the fear of doing it wrong, like we spoke about last week. It's, it's, it's the fear of doing it wrong, but not understanding the process. So what I'm going to talk about is we're going to talk about how you set up a limited company in the very beginning, how to do that online is quite straightforward. And um, so right from the very beginning, and then also the next steps you have to do, like open the bank account and then, you know, register it and all the rest of that palaver um, it comes in between. And then it, it's a golden opportunity for people to ask um, in that Zoom session uh, their own personal questions about their circumstances and yeah. how, how it helped them in their portfolio and, and to get them started as well. Um, yeah, okay, Facebook user. <laughs> Hopefully there's a link in there that says uh, you've got... Um, uh, uh, to, to click, yeah. Uh, uh, to give permission to StreamYard to show your name. To show your identity. I don't know who Facebook user is, but it's brilliant. You've got a list of questions ready. Uh, I'm sure it'll be somebody we know that you've got your list of questions ready for Angela us. But... And uh, good afternoon, Roy. Um, Roy's a great advocate of property investment. Yeah, afternoon, Roy. Afternoon, Angela. Um, in the news... What's in the news then, Richard? So far, um, what so far in the last week? For me and the news, I found a really uh, interesting article last week. Um, it was about, obviously, the losses of not being insured or not having your buy-to-let insured. There were some interesting uh, stats on it, and insurers have been warning, obviously, of the scale of losses that te uh, tenants' uh, damage could uh, have an effect on landlords if they're not insured. Now, there was a lot of figures pulled for that for uh, Hamilton Fraser insurers, which I know is somebody that you recommend, Jim. Um, and amazingly, um, although there's 85% of buy-to-let landlords are insured, I just found it astounding that there's 15% of them are not, and they opt not to be uh, through choice. And I think that's... Mm -hmm. I mean, Jim, you'll know, obviously, I'm, I don't expect you've, you've made any great 
uh, claims on your insurance, but still the importance of having that in place. Um, I think that landlords run don't realise they run the risk of, of losing up to 45% of their annual income in the event that something yeah, does happen. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, this, this takes me back to my corporate days when I was in Martin yeah. Uh, I remember the managing director pulling my aside and saying, "Look, well, you know, we need to make sure you're the company secretary, so we need to we need to make sure that we're covered for every risk possible, um, and and we we'll always minimise the downside if anything happens." And I'm like, "Why would we need to do that?" Now, this was really the early days when I first started out, um, but, but then began to, began to see over time, you know, you 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 can completely expose yourself if anything happens um, to you to everything. You could lose everything basically. Could you imagine if a building burns down? And you're not even covered, or you've not even got the proper cover, because some people actually think normal residential insurance covers them. So in actual fact, you've got to get proper buy-to-let insurance. Um, and and if you don't have that, and your your property does burn down to the ground, um, your rebuild cost. I mean, maybe the, you only bought the property for seventy grand, but the rebuild cost could end up being about one hundred and seventy or even yeah. two hundred thousand, because you've got to clear the site, and it's maybe part of another block of flats, and you've got to clear these flats as well, because you maybe got the downstairs one. So then, therefore, their insurance should cover, and then they have to work it all out. But you have to be adequately covered, or you're, you've had it. Now, yeah. could you imagine if you lose that, and then you have to pay the liability for that, and somebody else is affected because of it, and then they end up taking you and suing you or taking you to court because you don't have any cover at all, and you're personally liable for that. So that's 150 quid for the year. It's yeah. like, why on earth would you not pay that? It's crazy. Um, even to cover yourself like what I do is for a £1,000 excess, and that's why I do it. I only cover myself in the event of burning down the property. Um, yeah. That's effectively it. Or worst case scenario is that one I've got um, the, 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 the one um, roof, the roof, yeah. I re refusing to fix it. I mean, that's been empty. I was getting paid rent for four years for that. It's been um, a while, yeah. And, 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 and they were helping me pursue them legally as well. And all that for just, you know, a few hundred quid. Um, to cover liability, could you imagine what it'd be like if I didn't have any insurance cover at all? I'd be sitting here still out of pocket, um, effectively. What? Um, that's about five grand a year in rent. So four years, five years, uh, five grand rent, five years, twenty-five grand in rent. Yeah. So I'd have lost twenty-five thousand in rent plus the fact I'd still be where I am. Um, so, so, and and then I'd have the repairs, which is inside, which I've been paid for. They've paid more for that. I'm not doing it now until it's uh, until it's fixed, until the upstairs person does it. But then you're talking about £16,000 worth of repairs because the, the, the joists and the ceiling and everything above me um, are actually completely rotten. Um, yeah. They all have going to be ripped out, and that's the person's floor upstairs as well um, who's actually been causing the problem. So I've got all that money tucked aside from the insurance company um, to do that. So that's covered me to the tune of about forty grand, um, mm -hmm. And I've paid a couple of hundred quid for that policy. I mean, jeez, oh, it, it is... It is Definitely. If you're, if you're trying to risk it by not insuring yourself, you're absolutely crazy. Um, I've got a big portfolio and it costs, you know, I think it's about six or seven thousand pounds a year in insurance costs. But look at what I just got there um, and look at the cover I've got and look at the, the possibility of anything happening. So that's what I would that's what I recommend to everybody. Make sure you've got the right cover and you've got access to that information anyway. Richard, yeah, I was just going to say if anybody uh, feels like they've maybe not got the right cover or they're being maybe charged too much, then definitely come to us we've got um obviously connections through alan boswell group uh, hamilton fraser insurers yeah. as well um and like you say jim the, the average annual cost to a landlord uh, to insure a property is around about 1.5 percent of the annual income or something so and and the grand scheme of things i mean um definitely always have proper landlord insurance in place 
um, rental properties, any rental property is likely to come to some level uh, of damage in its lifetime. So mm -hmm. always be prepared for that uh, and have proper insurance. I think so. Because uh, remember, you've got somebody in there, you have no idea what they're going to do. Um, the classics in the past that have happened to me was an electrical fire where the, the actual fridge freezer went on fire. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was about £20,000 and then there was rent on top of that. Another one was a um, chip pan fire. The wee girl got up in the middle of the night, we were using a chip pan and she went and turned the um, cooker on by mistake uh, during the night, messing about. And uh, lo and behold, another £19,000 worth of damage as well. Uh, smoke damage all the way through uh, and then the kitchen was de destroyed as well as a result. Um, so that's a disaster uh, case scenario that I've always covered yeah. myself for. And the only, the only liability I had was the £1,000 excess and everything else was paid. So that's that's what I, that's why I'd say to everybody. Um, well, when you when you total it up, when you total up what I've been paid, like 40, 20, 20, so about 80. And then I've got, I mean, overall, on average, about five grand a year for my, for my thing, uh, for my uh, insurance. Then you're talking about what eighty divided by that? That's sixteen years. So that's sixteen years. I've been doing this for thirty years. Um, so when you think about it, I've actually I've actually got my money, um, my stuff paid for me with no risk at all, and I've really just paid half my premiums because I've got half of them back in the insurance claims. Yeah. Again, that comes down to opportunity cost and opportunity loss. You know, that's yeah. that, that that's the ultimate thing that's happening. Yeah, and I think it's important, like you say, um, to weigh your options up at the beginning. And if you are doing that and feel like maybe you need to look around, and it's always good to look around at different insurers and compare things, then we are uh, able to put you in contact with people to do that. Absolutely. Let's talk numbers. Let's talk numbers then. Yeah. So when I first started out, this is what everybody mm -hmm. wants to hear. How the hell did you do it? <laughs> tell us how you done it jim how did you start how did you start um, i actually i'll tell you what i did in the beginning I, I, in the beginning i actually i actually just I, I tested the market i i was doing my i was doing my stuff today my spreadsheets and that and i was looking back and i was thinking to myself i remember in the past where we had to actually we used to get phone calls from the neighbors this is how bad back to it was when i first started we used to get phone calls from the neighbors saying your tenants dismantling your kitchen and putting it into the back of our van um, literally uh, to sell it off to someone else. That's that's how difficult it was when we first started because there was no real regulation and there was no real screening of tenants or anything like that um, in the beginning. So so I had to I had to learn and think on my feet as I went. Um, but literally that's what it was like. It was like the, it was like it was like the the, the wild west um, mm -hmm. when we first started. I mean I was compliant with everything possible and I was I was I was Fife Council's first charter mark landlord. I was way before landlord registration way before anything uh, approval i was fife council's first charter mark landlord which meant fife council endorsed me uh, as a landlord and also we were their first letting agents as well were endorsed um, by fife council way before again before um uh, letwell which is the government approved um, mm -hmm. uh, process now um but that was as a product of of learning as we go and understanding how we went and having to learn so much so i i became a complete student in the beginning um, when I first started, of the buy-to-let business, it, it wasn't that at the time, obviously. But that's what you—that's what I would be doing now. I'd be a complete student. I'd be learning off that now. When I say learning off the right people, I mean the people that have actually done it before. I saw uh, something the other day, and and actually the guy said, uh, I can't remember who he was, Stephen somebody, 
And he was talking about, he says, you know, property millionaires are actually, you know, a property millionaire is kosher because more than likely they've made it and they want to give back to other people to invest in property. And they usually find that they actually do things for free. Whereas, and, and they've built it because they've built their portfolio and they've benefited as a result. So that it's easy for them to give that education for free as a result of that. Whereas the people that genuinely haven't made it in property investment have actually sold training courses, <laughs> dare I say, I might be challenging some people out there. They've actually sold training courses and it's the sold training courses that have actually given them the money to invest in property. Um, if, if that makes sense, one is the one way and one's the other way. I mean, I came up and built a portfolio and then started teaching people. I never taught people, made money, and then built a portfolio with that money. So I made money in my day-to-day -day job, and then I invested that in property all the time uh, in a kind of similar way. But I was actually, if that makes sense, I was eating my own cooking. Yeah, because you were still working and earning in, 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 in a, in a nine-to-five job, say nine-to-five hours and that. You need um, to become. You need to become a student. You need to become a student. You need to learn off the right people, and it's actually, um, it, it's actually asking for advice on, on on people like myself and saying who would you speak to, or who would you plug into, or what books would you read, uh, and that's what we talk about in the in the private Zoom sessions yeah, about the yeah. books you should be reading, about the about the people you should be learning from, um, about the people you should be watching from. Because sometimes I won't say it on a public forum because because there's there's ones out there that get a wee bit antsy and it's like, oh, I'll take a court order over you. And it's like, fill your boots because I tell you what, I'll fight you to the death for the hell And The money doesn't mean anything to me, really. It's a tool to do with what you want to do and give you the freedom. Um, and that's all I ever did. So I built what I call um, a property time machine, if that makes sense. And effectively, I'm a property time lord. <laughs> and, but but I, I didn't do it for the money. I did it for the time and the freedom. I did yeah. the money would set me free and and I, I mean i was an industry and i was you know dare i say i had a good job but what i've learned is good is the enemy of great and what i mean by that it's like there's you're told consistently get yourself a good job you know knuckle down uh, be really good at what you do and it's always good 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 but it's never what you know what do you really want to do and how could you monetize it it doesn't go like that um, I maybe talked to you the other day about this. Um, there was a guy, um, you know, he was earning, at 10 years old, he was earning $1,000 a month at 10 years old, going door to door. Uh, by the way, if your parents out there, you're not going to like what I'm about to say next. <laughs> you might agree with me, um, but it's, no, it's going to be controversial about education. Um, so he's making $1,000 a month, and, and, and he was doing really well, and he was only just spending a couple of hours a week for doing it. And then he thought to himself, I'm going to scale this up a bit and I'm going to put more effort into it. So he put more effort into it and he worked every week and ended up making like $3,000 a month. Uh, and, and, you know, fair enough, he was compromising a bit with his schoolwork and stuff like that, but he was making $3,000 a month. At that time, his mother and father weren't even making anything near that and he was making it in his part-time while, while he was going to school around <laughs> about 10, between 10 and 15 year old. And, and do you know, his mother and father hauled him aside one day and said, uh, why are you failing in maths? Hello, <laughs> I make more money than you. It's like, yeah. but but that is how we are. That's why I say good is the enemy of great because people talk about getting a good job, but you should be you should be telling people to be great at what they do. And it's the old thing about you know a, a fish can swim well, but if you judge it on its ability to climb a tree, it'll go about thinking it's an idiot for the rest of its life. We all have skills and everything what we do and how we do it, 
and we're very skilled at each each individual thing. So what you do is you find out what you absolutely excel in, and you be the best in it. You be world class in it, and then you monetize it. That's what you do because everybody will pay far more for your skill than the will for another person because you're the one that's outstanding in it. This comes back to the Olympic athletes thing, how they surround themselves with a team, a power team. And everybody goes, God, they're paying millions. Of, you know, they get sponsorship deals for millions and millions of pounds for for, for doing what they do. And it's just running. Yeah. And it's just running. Holy but they've mastered it. We're just running to a line here. It's like, what's all that about? But there's huge endorsements from everybody because they can sell things and they get all these endorsements. So they have these power teams and they spend millions of pounds and these people helping them to get to be the best they can be and continue to be the best they can be. But at that level, they're not trying to shave one second off their time. They're trying to shave 0.0001 second off their time every single time with the power team. They're spending millions every year to keep them in that zone. <clears throat> Think about that. When they get to that elite level, they're still investing all that money to make sure they can just maintain what they've got, but also just do these wee tiny, tiny marginal gains. And that's effectively when I first started, what how I thought. It was just these wee marginal improvements I thought to myself I would do and how I would do it. And, and that mindset that you would get as a result of what you were doing. And that all came back to reading the right books. You know, um, Albert Einstein, I think, actually said it. You know, he was a part and clerk in an office, but look what he did. Um, uh, but he actually said it. He will be, you will be in the next five years by the books you read and the people you associate with. And it's it was just so uh, true. Yeah. I was just going to say that. We teach that, uh, or we talk about that uh, in the private Zooms. It's about the, the circle of people that you surround yourself with. It's about who you learn from and, how, and, and, and who you absorb that knowledge from uh, and find the right sources to do that. It is. And, and, and as I said, you know, be great at something, be, you know, find what you're really good at, what you're great at, not what you're just no bother at. It's the jack of all trades, but master of none. Mm -hmm. Whereas I say jack of all trades and master of them all. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a mindset thing. I mean, people think you're an arrogant, whatever it is, whatever it is you want to call me. Um, you're, you're an arrogant so-and-so and all the rest of it. But, but you have to have that mindset. If you don't have that mindset, you're doomed from the very beginning. And that's yeah. the mindset you have to adopt. So it might take a lot of, it might take a few years for you to condition and break free and, and break free of these chains you have and these bond, that bondage you have round about you that's been socially conditioned into you. But that's what you have to do. And I spent a good two or three years before I even started property actually doing that. I was fortunate enough to be involved in network marketing. But alongside network marketing was a huge business organization called International Business Systems, mm -hmm. who actually had books, tapes, functions, and mentors. And I went to every single one of them, the four wheels on my car. You know, it was no good no going to one of them because you've got three wheels, a car will never go. But I had that four wheels on my car, the books, tapes, the functions, and the upline, um, the mentor itself. And I learned from these people, and they taught me how to be successful at what they did. But they said, all these skills that you've got here are transferable. They can go into anything, and they did. And I accelerated <clears> my, career, my career within that period of time when I started as a training accountant. Um, uh, you know, within I think it was something like uh, about ten years from a training accountant to, to a financial director in ten years uh, from a standard start, um, probably homeless and unemployed. I think that is ten years um, to a financial director um, in industry, and then finally, you know, retired after that at thirty year old. But 
but it's these skills that are transferable into everything else. So what you learn right now is not as is, is, is maybe pertainable to property investment, but all the mindset stuff is pertainable to everything else outside of what you do. So even with a property investment, you're still getting all that knowledge and expertise and everything else you do. And everybody starts to notice that and you become the laws of attraction and your boss then goes, you're absolutely outstanding at what you do. You know, you're showing initiative and everything. You're doing this and you're doing that. I could see this and I'm going to promote you. And that's effectively what happened to me all the yeah. time. Um, I just used to progress, loads and loads of work. Yeah. Give me more work. Give me more work. Just like I'm, I used to, I never used to sit there and sit and coast it. And, and at one point in time, I remember when I joined Standard Life. Um, when I joined Standard Life in George Street, actually, some of the guys took my side one day and goes, Jim, go and slow down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe, believe, I can believe I that, like, Jim. I was like, what? <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. And genuinely, honestly, they said to me, there was a group of them actually, it says, go and slow down a bit because genuinely, um, you're actually making us look bad because you are motoring through what we take a week to do in a couple of days. And it says, it's like, it's it's no great. Eh? But but for me, I was just like, this is just what, what I do and how I am and how yeah. efficient I am and, what, and how I'm doing it. So, so I just continued to do it. I mean, they were all right with it, but they were, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek about it in the beginning, but they were, they were getting a wee bit annoyed at the mm -hmm. fact that I was just, I was effectively showing them up. But the boss was absolutely over, overwhelmed. He, like, he was over the moon because what happened was the rising tide lifts all ships. Everybody yeah. else started to go faster and be more efficient at what they're doing. And they started to ask me, what do you do and how do you do that and, and make it all quicker as, as well. So it, was, it wasn't skills that I, it wasn't skills that I learned in a standard life. It was skills I learned in what I was doing and the, and the mentality and the mindset and the books I was reading and the mentors mm -hmm. I was, and the functions I was attending as well. Um, and I mean things like, on you didn't have online at the time. You had to physically go to the cared hall and sit with 2,000 other people and watch on the stage from other speakers that were more successful in this business entity than you were. And they would tell you how they did it. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and we were paying 20 quid for a ticket for that. And folk were going, oh, I can't afford 20 quid. And I'm like, if you can't afford 20 quid at this point in time, this is why you need to go to this function <laughs> to learn how you can afford 20 quid. Because that is dire at that, at that point in time. If you, mm -hmm. And effectively, that's what I say to people now. If you're sitting watching this and thinking, I could never afford to do this, I could never afford to do that, I could never. And, and it's like, we've got a, you know, a, a crisis on our hands and all the prices are going up. It's like, you have got all the all the things at your fingertips right now, all the knowledge at your fingertips right now. I can guarantee you that, but you just don't know it. And I'll give you a wee analogy here. How do you train a flea? Now, a flea can jump 36 inches. Think about that. Three feet, a flea jumps. Okay? Now, you put a flea in a glass jar, and you put the lid on the jar, and the flea begins to jump. There's 36 inches. But it hits the lid all the time, and it gets blooming sore at some point in time. So what the, the flea does is it conditions itself to only jump the five the five inches to the top of the glass and actually misses the lid, okay? So it doesn't hurt itself anymore. And it continues through its, all, its whole life just jumping five inches, even though it can jump 36. Think about that potential. It doesn't acknowledge anymore. I can only jump five inches. Mummy flea comes along. They have a baby flea. Mummy flea and daddy flea are now jumping five inches. Even though they can jump 36. Baby's born, baby can jump 36 inches. But how high do you think baby learns to jump? Only five. Yeah. Because he sees his mum and dad doing it. And isn't that just like society today? What we do 
is teach you to take that glass lid off and jump out of that 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 box basically yeah that's what we're doing that's what we're doing here we're teaching you to jump out that that take that glass lid off and jump out that box and learn because you have that potential to do it everybody has it anybody watching i defy you to prove me wrong because i can prove you right every single time you have the capability of being it's greatly successful as anybody else around you that's what it comes down to but because we all jump at five inches and people around us jump at five inches we don't realize that we can jump a lot more than we have that's why you've maybe been told all your life geez it's got potential she's got potential eh? and it was always in your report card got potential but then how did it turn out like it was yeah and that was effectively what it was like for me, conditioned socially by all the surroundings around about me. So it took me a couple of years. So if you're if you're getting started in property property investment, don't worry about watching everybody else going, oh, I'm buying a house and I'm not doing walls and all the rest of it. It's like forget that rubbish. It's like great, grass is always greener. You don't know what they're going through, and they could be swimming naked while the tide's in. <laughs> Wait till the tide goes out. Wait till the tide goes out, and I really yeah. mean it. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I want to make sure that everything's okay if the tide does go out. This is all about risk minimization. Okay, so that's how I was, and that's what I would do today. I would learn if I was starting in property investment, I would attend, attend their workshop. Hey, it's free. We're not going to ask you to pay anything later on. There's no point in that, but that's no, that's no what we're doing here. This is genuinely, there's no upsell here. I'm not wanting you on any course or anything like that. Um, I, you know, I just want to give you more knowledge, more information, more advice and help you on your journey. At some point in time, you might be so successful that you might reciprocate that for me. If you don't, it makes no difference to me. I'll still sit on the beach for the rest of my life and drink pina coladas. That's the reality. So that's what I'll be doing right now if I was, if I was starting out for the first time. I would also, the one thing, and I couldn't find it before, um, the one thing I'd be doing right now, and this is this is what I did in the very beginning. I'll just share the screen, and I'll see if I can get it all on the screen for you. Um, let me share this. Uh, I wrote this down on a bit of paper because I didn't. I don't. I don't think I had a spreadsheet at the time. So if you can see that, Richard, you yeah. see that? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I, I wrote year and um, year. Okay, yeah, year. And one, two, three, four. Uh, and and you know the rest. Eh? Um, let me let me just compound that up. Uh, ah, I see it doesn't do it like that. Uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Okay, so this was me and and uh, purchase. Um, so this was me when I first started out. Now I tell you what. Um, how did I get the money in the beginning? Um, in the beginning, yeah. I, actually had, I actually had policies. Um, so I had policies, um, endowment policies. Now, they had been attached to properties that were bought in the past, but because we were on capital repayment now, we didn't actually need an endowment anymore because it was interest-only mortgages at that time, and you had to take out endowments at that time. That was saving schemes. You know, they'll, 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 they'll compound up over 20 years or something, and they'll be worth something a wee bit more at the end of 20 years. So that's what an endowment was. So I had a saving scheme. And, and I think at that time, you know, um, they weren't attached to any properties anymore because, as I say, we were on capital repayment. So um, they were, I think they were about £4,000. Um, but the great thing is property at that time was about fifteen grand to buy. 
So I had I had a savings savings of four thousand pound. So what I did was I I just went around loads of bank managers. There they go. It's just knocking on doors. It loads and loads of no's. I mean, I must have had about I must have had well over a hundred no's <laughs> from the banks. Um, but I consistently asked the same banks every single time when the managers changed. If they would, you know, would you give me funding for this? Would you give me funding for that? Um, and and to, just to see if I can push them. And I still go back to the Bank of Scotland now and actually say, if I had, if I gave you this, would you give me a hundred percent funding on that? Because you've got you've got security against this. And the numbers still make sense, and I'm still covered. So if I give you 100% funding, I gave you that as, you know, as security, like like the equity um, and a property, um, but actually not not realizing and not paying it off against it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So in other words, if I've got 100,000, um, well, I did that with my Cooper office. Mm-hmm. I bought my Cooper office for 100,000, but I actually said to them, I've got equity and everything else, and and effectively when I when I when I give you that equity. Um, and give you a, a, a guarantee on that that property, that other property I've got, it's got the equity in it. That could give you about forty thousand towards that. So effectively, if you then sold off that property, it's guaranteed against this hundred thousand lending against one hundred percent on on my Cooper office at that time. Then then you've got sixty percent loan to value. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, but that was something I was going to ask you. It's actually doing here because I was thinking um, I knew what you were going you were going to talk about your journey today, and it's like. So where did you get the money to start with? How did you start off? Because a lot of people do come to me and say, like, obviously they're interested in uh, building a portfolio, and but maybe they've not got equity in their house, and they've only got a couple of grand in savings, and they think like I'm, I'm not really in a position to to start. And you say you're going about going about and asking the banks and things back when you started. Yep. Is that something yeah. that you I'd would still recommend to do now? Yep. Elaine, yeah. Elaine got offered redundancy. She got offered redundancy from Diageo at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had just bought one property. Now I went through a lot of testing at that time at 176 Taylor Street. That's the one. We still yeah. got that today. Um, I still yeah. own it after about 30 years. Um, so 176 Taylor Street was 15,000 pound at that time, and we were renting it for uh, 300. But I did a lot of testing at that point. I actually advertised in the paper. Nowadays we all know property rents, but at that time we had no idea property was going to rent and was this yeah, going to be viable. It was so, a risk factor in it. Yeah. So what I did was I advertised in the paper at that time in a lineage advert and said, you know, um, property to rent, Arbor Hill, uh, one bedroom, um, I think it was 280 every four weeks because it was a four-week cycle at that time, yeah. uh, 70 quid a week. Um, so 280, uh, or was it 60? Maybe 60 quid a week, actually. It was 240. That was it. The rent was 240 or something, or 260 for the month. Uh, no, it's coming back to me. It's all coming back to me now. There's a song there somewhere. <laughs> So 260 was the rent a month at maximum at that time for a one bedroom. So I rent, I, I advertised it for 260. I hadn't bought it yet. And everybody, there was folk phoning him up saying, oh, I'm interested in that flat. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. I know there's a demand for this now. So I then went and bought the flat. But how I got the money for the deposit was it was a 90% deposit at that time. It was a 90% loan to value. So I only needed 10%, which is about 2,000 pounds. Yeah. Um, so effectively, I managed to scrape together two grand um, to get that, um, just from money I had. You know, I, I, there was a lot of sacrifices I made. I thought you were going to say money I had lying around. No, it wasn't it. It was no, a I'll huge amount of sacrifices I made. No. Listen, listen, I'll tell you this. This is a different thing. time. If you think the price for winning is high, wait until you get the bill for regret. Yeah. I'll say that again. If you think the price for winning is high, wait until you get the bill for regret. Because I tell you what, it'll be one or the other you'll pay. And if you don't pay the, if you don't do the price for winning, 
uh, the bill for regret, and you don't pay that either, your kids are going to pay it, your grandkids are going to pay it, and the generations are going to pay it, and somebody's going to have to pay that bill off. Because um, that's the reality for today. That's how things work. So I sacrificed a lot in the beginning, Elaine and I. Um, the, literally, we would we wouldn't buy another car. We looked at you know um, rent. We looked at leasing a car as least as possible. I used to conserve my cash flow. I used to work on cash flow at the time. So we had, I think, we had a loan for a car. We had a loan for my car. We had a, a mortgage for the house. We had a you know I didn't can we had something else. So what I did was loan consolidation. So I then took because it was all about cash flow every month. I had. That I would need to have to get that. So I took these loans and pushed them out a bit more and put them all in one loan, consolidated it um, into an easier payment, a lower payment every month. Because uh, I knew the long-term effects of the compounding wealth I would get anyway. So I wasn't bored if it was going to cost a wee bit extra or it was a wee bit of penalty to pay off a, you know, a, a, an existing loan. It was no big deal to me because I worked out the long-term game and I thought, wow, this is this will blow this out the water. Um, yeah. it, was a, it was a done deal for me on a spreadsheet. So I I then took that um, and consolidated it down. It then gave me money every single month, a lot more cash flow every single month to work with. I, listen, cash is trash, cash flow is king. That's what it comes down to. Cash flow is king. Cash for cash sake is, you could rip it up and chuck it away. It is worthless. It's cash flow It allows you, as the life bud, it runs right through your body of your business. And it keeps everything going. Um, so cash is the most cash flow is the most important thing you could have in here. Um, so cash flow for me was everything. So I consolidated everything down to that to make sure I had all the all the necessary cash every single month to do that uh, to feed the baby. The baby is the business. The baby is your yeah. buy to let business. You must never ever starve the baby. And I still, you know, I still do that today. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah, I take you. Half the salary you take out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but but the most important thing to me is wealth creation. I don't. I I I my my standard level of living is down to a, a level where I could easily adapt and change um, to the to the current environment, depending on where it is. But but I don't live. Um, frivolously if that makes sense and i don't you know oh, let's go and buy a lamborghini huracan and let's do this and let's mortgage that and let's borrow on that and mm -hmm. let's have it i'll never buy anything as a liability and a car is a liability your own house is a liability um you know unless it's an asset it generates money that's the only reason i'll buy it everything else has cost money to run and i yeah. wouldn't do anything like that at all so at that time i had that same mentality and built that in the beginning so it was it was all that it, it did that for me in the beginning. So I did I did that. If I was doing it today, I'd be I'd be saying to people right now, and I I, I can do this right now anyway because the numbers work for me. Um, and and I can invite people into a property fund, and I can I can give them a five percent guaranteed return on their money every single year, and I could pay that every single month for them if they wanted. So a yearly 5% guaranteed I could do right now. I could also give them a profit split of what I'm investing in. So a profit split of the income it generates and also a profit split of the equity it generates as well. Why on earth would anybody want to go and invest in property on their own then? <laughs> I was going to bring that up as well. <laughs> we spoke about... Well, it's like, it's like, I'm just, I'm just investing in you then, Jim. 
because um, it's like if I've got an investment and my neck's on the line because it's me it's actually investing in all these things it's me it's actually giving the guarantees personally yeah. on all the all the financing to do with building this building my portfolio the fund that I've got then why on earth would why on earth would anybody think it oh that might not succeed flipping heck it's like I've got everything on the line you've got nothing except the money you've put in mm-hmm. um, that's why I only accept certain t- a certain person a certain type of person into into actually invest with me um i'm very i'll not just let every man and their dog do that um there's strict criteria on that um about who i would accept to invest and in joint venture with um but if i was starting now i would i would basically look at friends family and people like that and say to them look you know i know it works i'd be sitting down with them i'd be going through the numbers like i go through the now i'd be talking about what their return would be guaranteed every single year but also they'd be getting a profit split um, as well, and then they'll be getting a profit split of the the increased equity over the over the ten to fifteen year period that we're investing in. Almost like um, it's kind of like a debenture. Um, debentures are yeah. loan companies, yeah, and they give fixed rate returns. Um, um, that's what a debenture is. Um, but with debenture, you get your same amount back in ten years' time without any increase. Whereas with a property, if the property is going up in value, you're getting a, an increase in the split as well on top of your money back in ten or fifteen years' time. So that's what I would be offering if I was first starting out. Um, but again, it's all the legal paperwork that goes with that and to work that out. Um, some people are happy to do that from friends and family if they're wanting to start out and uh, and just say, look, we'll invest in you because we know you, you're my son or my daughter or whoever. Um, and so and we work together before and I trust you. Um, they've maybe got shares in the company as well um, with you. Um, so that's another way to do it. Um, so you're using somebody else's equity to leverage your position. But what you've got here is you've got two people with, with, with this synergistic effect. Uh, one has the money, clearly, another one doesn't. The other one has the skill and the skill and track record, and the other one doesn't. Um, so you marry the two of them up, and the both of them win. Yeah. Um, that's the key here. Because in that situation where they're on their own, you probably find the one with the money has to learn a lot and it'll take them a lot longer to get what they would get the one without the money as well and the knowledge and um, so if you actually marry up together the sum of the parts is a lot greater than the individuals um so that's what that's what i'd be doing if i first started out richard um, yeah i think that's that's probably a good way forward for a lot of people who are quite unsure about well, how do i get started and i didn't have the money to get started i didn't have the knowledge to get started band together take a uh, Come forward, yeah. Joint venture and get your names. Everybody put five thousand pound and 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 then get twenty grand deposit. Four years and the four years can go and buy a property together, um, and and just get started. Um, but literally, uh, uh, you know, people will spend five thousand pound for a holiday. There you go. There's a quarter investment straight away for for your first flat with 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 three other people. So it's the things like the sacrifices for the holidays, the sacrifices for the nights out. I never went on nights out and stuff like that. It's like no chance. I was really proud of Ben the other day. We we're coming back from the pictures yesterday, and I says to Ben, "You want to go to Burger King?" And he went, "Now, Ben's got a five-figure sum in his account, and he's 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 only in his twenties." I'm like, yeah. "What? I can't believe!" And I'm up to talk him well, um, but he's even got a pension now, and it's almost reaching six figures. <laughs> he's he's only in his twenties, yeah. um, but I must have taught him well because Ben says, uh, "Why would I want to buy something at Burger King if I can get it for free in the house?" <laughs> <laughs> I know what I think, but well, that's good at his age to, to have that attitude. I think even like my own personal experiences, like you talk about all oh, nights out and holidays, and gradually as you get older, you realise the, the importance. And I mean, 
nights out are very few and far between. And, and well, we've talked about it last week, didn't we? Yeah. We've talked about it last week, the week before, about the opportunity cost. Yeah. All these things. I mean, if you're, if you're the, 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 and the opportunity cost one, we proved that the hurricane, buying a Lamborghini hurricane at 170 grand, would cost you 2 million over 40 years because you've lost that opportunity to invest that in an investment that would actually make you that return. Mm-hmm. And that's 40 years, that's your retirement. So you spent 170 grand right now, okay? And that's the price you paid. That's the bill for regret. The 2 million you would have had when you retired 40 years later, all because you couldn't resist buying a hurricane just now. A Lamborghini. Yeah. Yeah. The winners will pay the price. The losers will get the bill for regret, I'll tell you. And and that was something that was instilled with me in the beginning. It was instilled with me for the very, very beginning. It says, you know, I remember, um, it was. I'm sure it was Jerry Scriven, or it was Bernard D'Souza, it says to me, or Dave Butler. Dave's actually a friend of mine going blind. So is Jerry, actually. But I remember they said to me, Jim, you know, it's like you'll either pay the price now, or you'll pay the price later on. Mm-hmm. But at some point in your life, you will pay the price for what you've done and or what you've not done. And it says, in these years to come, I know you liked, I, I liked golf at that time and all this. I was at golf and he says, you know, like, could you imagine turning to your children in 20 years' time when your children grow up? Because I had very young children at the time. Tony was probably about two or three. And your kids growing up and they've got to go to university or they've got to do something else. And in and, and 20 years' time, and you've got them going to university, and they turn around you and say, Dad, I really want to go to university. However, I'm going to have to, it's going to cost me about 10 grand a year. And I really can't afford, obviously, to do that. So can you help me out? Could you imagine not having the money to do that? Yeah. And that is what drove me more than anything. That, that thought in my mind, that the very fact that I could be in that situation and I had this opportunity right at this point in time of doing what I needed to do and anything I needed to do. You know, it was network marketing at that time, and then it evolved into my career, and then it evolved into property investment, and then it evolved into what we're doing now. Um, so, but in these 20 years, just my daughter coming to me and saying, you know, and, and then me saying, well, I really can't afford it, but I tell you what, come and look at my trophies for my golf. Yeah, that puts it in perspective, definitely. Hi, like, really? <laughs> but that's effectively. So it was, it was, it was, Pushed by my pull, pushed by my circumstances and pulled by my dreams at the same time. Um, right, let me talk about numbers because this was important. I wrote this down yeah. and, I, and I couldn't find my spreadsheet. Um, so I'll do it again. So purchase for that was uh, right. Say I've got my deposit and I've got my five thousand pound. Uh, so mm-hmm. at that time it was five. It was twenty grand for a house uh, or fifteen. Okay, so it's fifteen for a house and we were earning two sixty. Uh, now times that times uh, twelve. And it's probably three one, and I was about, gee, I didn't care. at that time. I think uh, actually, I, I I had it down to, I think I had it down to I was making a thousand pound a year for each property. Okay, so that's profit. We could, I mean, this is this is for easiness. Okay, so mm-hmm. in my first year, I was making a thousand pound a year. Now at that time, uh, one of these was times point uh, point. I think it was point two. I think we're getting eight percent. So I needed three thousand pound a year to get my to get my property. So that's that's after year one, I've made a thousand pound. But year two, I would I would have another thousand pound, wouldn't I? Yeah. Um, because I'd be, and that would be effectively two thousand pound, wouldn't it? So year two, remember three thousand pound in mind. Uh, year three, 
Um, then I had another, I had another thousand pound, but I had, I had the thousand pound from before, so I had another two thousand pound. And year four, it's like, wait a minute, I could buy another property. Okay, mm -hmm. and then I'd be getting two thousand pound a month, two thousand pound a year. But I'd be getting two thousand, I'd be getting, I'd be getting the money from the years before. That that all makes sense. So, so I'm up at three thousand in year three. Yeah. So I'm a thousand pound a year. Year three, I've got three thousand now. Now I'm going to buy my next property because I've now got. I've now got 4,000, so I'm buying my next property, okay? So I've got two properties now, and I'm now making, I've, I've, I've invested that money in my next property, and I'm now, I'm now making 2,000 pound a year, because I've got two properties now, yeah? And I'm now making 2,000 pound the next year, and it's like, wait a minute, I could buy another property. So I bought another one, but deposit down. Now I'm making 1,000 pound a year, but I've got three, so I'm making 3,000 pound a year. And then saying, wait a minute, I could buy another property. <laughs> See how this is compounding, yeah? And see how, and I, you're just going to see how your buying power increases. Four thousand. Wait a minute, I could buy another property. There they go. And then, and then they've got another one. We're making five thousand pound a year because I've got five now. Okay. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute, I could almost buy another property. But I tell you what, I'll wait till the next year, and then I'll then I'll get I'll get I'll get six thousand next year, and then I could buy another pro another two properties. Mm -hmm. See that. So I've now got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've now got seven thousand pound a year. I'm making. Okay, and I've now got seven properties. And it's like, wait a minute, I could buy another two properties. So I've now got nine thousand pound a year. I'm making. Wait a minute, I could buy another three properties. So I've got forty-five. Now, give or take inflation. I mean, someday, someday it's a hey, listen, there'll be a deadbeat out there somewhere. I'll go, that's no right because at least yeah, this is just in simple terms to show you uh, that, yeah, just oh, okay. do one, do one, and stay broke for the rest of your life. That's what I'll tell you right now. Um, just live in your own world, jog on, don't even listen to what you're saying here, and it doesn't matter, don't listen to it. Uh, just stay where you are right now. If you're broke, you'll stay broke for the rest of your life. Um, so I can get another three properties. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I've got 12 properties. I'm making 12,000 pounds now uh, a year. And, and, and wait a minute. Now, have you noticed something? I only started out with three grand. Mm -hmm. I've got three grand. I've got 12 properties now after 12 years, and I'm earning 12,000 pounds a year net profit. Now, 4,000. I can get four properties now. So I'm now 60 grand. Now four properties for 60 grand. Now, I know inflation for the price of houses and the rest of it, but this is in an ideal where this just shows how it compounds up over the years. So now I've got four properties. I've now got 16 properties. So I'm now earning £16,000 a year. Oh, wait a minute. I could buy five more properties now. So I'm now 75000 So five properties. I've now got 16. I've now got 21 properties. I'm now making 21000 a year. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I've got three, uh, three, I've got seven. I could buy seven properties here. So I'm now 105,000, I think it is, for seven properties with the, mm -hmm. with the mortgages. But remember, this is all taking the money out and leaving the mortgages in. So I've now got, I've now got seven on top of, how many did I have? One, two, well, 16 plus seven. Um, uh, was that right, yeah? No, six, oh good, I've even lost, I've even lost my own. <laughs> <laughs> see there they go look 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 see how this compounds one two three four five six seven eight nine nine twelve there's another four so there's 16 
So there's 16, and there's another five. five. So there's 21, 21, and there's another seven. So there's 28 20. properties. 15 years out of three grand, I've now got 28 grand a year, and I've got 15 properties. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 28 properties. See how that works? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Like you say, obviously, there will be things that obviously have effects on different factors that affect that, but that's quite a simple demonstration I, to show how it compounds. I could do it. this in a different way, Richard, and show you, because I did it in a different way. I did the profit in the beginning, and I showed the profit mm -hmm. every year, and then I did the number of properties I could buy in this column here, right? But I, I, I just, this is off the top of my head how I did it. But I, I stuck this in my pocket at 40 years. Mm -hmm. Think about where it would be. Yeah, I took that and put it in my pocket at 40 years extrapolated and I had a wee bit of paper that I walked about with 40 years. So when I got despondent here in the first five years, I'd only got two properties and I was greeting my eyes out, I looked at here and thought, holy shit, I've got 28 properties there at year yeah. 15. Year five, I had two properties. Year six, I had three properties. Year seven, I had four properties, year eight, I had five properties, year nine, I had seven properties, I had nine properties, I had 12 properties, I had 16 properties, 21. I had 21 properties, I had 28 properties. Look at that, how that, how that just meteoric yep. rise there. But more importantly, I had 28,000 pounds a year. And that, my friend, is how I retired from a standing start within eight years of doing property investment. Because I pursued this, but even at eight years, I had 27 properties. Mm -hmm. Because I scaled myself up and I made a lot of sacrifices in the beginning and I kept reinvesting. I kept reinvesting on my salary, everything possible everything went to my property investment my vehicle it was going to set me free and give me my time back forever i put yeah. a lot of time and effort in myself now in the beginning what i would do now is i'd get somebody else to manage it mm -hmm. because i tried to save i tried to have that broke mentality and i was like oh i could save 50 pound a month and, and all the rest of it but i only managed it myself because i couldn't get somebody like me it could manage it like me and be on top of it like me. But we have that system now because we yeah. developed this together. Yeah, and back then there wouldn't be agents. Yeah, such that and you didn't have, I mean, I tried to get five properties before the owner, the original owner of this, and he was like a wet fish. It's like flipping heck. I had to force him to come round to sit, to knock on a door with me to collect the rent, and he was meant to be managing it. And yeah. it's like, my God. And we we'll had to sit in front of the tenant. And, and I had to say, right, well, what are we going to say? And he went, well, you know, that so-and-so, so-and-so. And I had to force it out of him to get the rent. And I was paying him to do this. And I had to take him by the hand into the property and say, where's the rent? And that's yeah. the type of thing I had. And so I just got sick to death of that. So I actually managed them myself in the beginning. I tell you what, I paid a big price mentally for that. And I mean mentally, right? It really took its toll on my health mentally. Mm -hmm. um, but for me now, in hindsight, it was a, it was a price worth paying for me. Um, and a lot of people wouldn't have lasted with that. And that's another story. And I tell you what, that's a frightening story. <laughs> I didn't really want to talk about that in public. Um, but, but and you'll know that anyway. Um, yeah. But, but that's, that's another story completely. But nowadays, I would actually get somebody else to manage it like you. 
And the reason for that is because you've been taught by me and you understand it completely. Yeah. Um, and you understand how important it is and the opportunity cost, the opportunity loss of not doing something or doing something. Uh, and you've got that mentality. Even though, um, even though you you don't have the big portfolio like me, you've always got me to rely on as well. And in, in order to come back for the advice and what you should do next and how you should do things to get things done quicker and more, more improving, and what advice should be given to certain landlords as a result. So that's why I would get you to do it, and that's why I get you to do them today for that very reason. Because I could make more money in my day-to-day -day job. I was working 160 hours a week. That's that's literally your whole life was working at work. And I had to get out of work. And this was the only vehicle that could get me out. I had a choice to go into PLC and be a financial director of a PLC when it was floated the next year. That was Bell Security PLC, which exists today. I think it's been bought over by a number of companies. But, um, but I tell you what, I had that choice. And I said, no, I don't want to do that route because that's just my time again. I will yeah. never have any time myself. I will work till I die. But I'd rather work till I die in something I love. And this is what it is. I know, and, and speaking of time, I think there's so many decisions and things that get made with your portfolio and things that, that I do without even consulting you, because I know what they are, I know what you want to do and I know how that should be done. And that saves up, that saves and frees up so much of your time in order for you to keep building what you're doing. Um, I I think, yeah, I, I, listen, Richard, if someone can't get excited about that right now and start <laughs> get started in property investment, you have, you need to get a brain removal yeah. or something. It's like, you know, to, to see that right in front of you, to see that grow right in front of you as well. The numbers might differ a wee bit and it will be a different journey for you, but to watch that compounding effect, to watch the into the 15th year and realise yeah. in the first couple of years you've only got two properties, it's like, ah, it's not going anywhere. Bullshit. That compounding wealth all the time. And I kept putting everything back in, feeding the baby, feeding the baby, feeding the baby, yeah. feeding the baby. And I still do that today. Feed the baby, because the yeah. baby will end up growing into a massive machine which will generate income for you and your family and your generations to come and generational wealth all the time. And it goes up in value while it pays you to wait. Yeah. How crazy is that? I know, and that's really good way to come. Somebody, somebody had a go at me in TikTok and went, ah, well, the stock market does that. But the stock market is completely volatile and dividends are down to whether a company wants to pay them out or not. Why yeah. delay, isn't it? Everybody needs a roof over their head. And if you do it properly, your occupancy rate will be up at 98%. And our yeah. occupancy rate is at 98%. Yeah. And effectively, you're generating money every single month. Oh, my God. I could sit and do nothing and sit on a beach and drink pina coladas <laughs> and make more money ever than I made in my job as a financial director. Yeah. I left my work and I was making six times more income than I was as a, a financial controller when I left, actually, because I was moved to a different position because I couldn't find the right person for that. So they moved me there and got the other person in for the other job. That's a wee bit another skill that you do. Um, but I literally left at that time and, and for that reason. Anyway, let's wrap up because we're at yeah. the hour. But I'd like, just to recap there, it is about making the sacrifice initially. Uh, and been in it for the long term. Yeah. Okay, guys, see you next week. If you've got any questions, uh, please feel free to message Richard direct 